The following podcast is sponsored by the IFF Financial Corporation in special recognition of Firefighters and Cancer Awareness Month. Welcome to the IAFF podcast. I'm Noel Lilly. And I'm Kevin Welsh. And we are your guest hosts for this very important Firefighter Cancer Awareness Month. The IAFF has teamed up with Firefighter Cancer Support Network to bring you a ton of new information around prevention, treatment, research, and culture changes around the fire, cancer in the fire service. This week, we have Dan King on the podcast, and we're talking about prevention. Hi, Dan. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Right on. Yeah. Um, I'm a firefighter, actually a fire captain out here in San Diego, California. Uh, been on the job now for now about 25 years. Um, just a fantastic career. Love California. What's your background with cancer, Dan? Okay. Uh, well, like most of us, if we're talking to firefighters, I mean, we never really talked that much about it. I mean, uh, I mean, it was never something we talked about. Um, so it wasn't in my, even in my thought process going through most of my career. But uh, for me, uh, in March of 2016, just about five years ago, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer, um, esophageal in my throat. Um, and that uh, was just a shock to me and my family. I mean, I, I mean, I know I've been a firefighter, but I never smoked, never chewed tobacco, never did any of that kind of stuff. Um, so that kind of came out of came out of out of nowhere for me. Um, what was uh, what brought that to your attention? How did you find out? Yeah, good question. You know, I I did what most of us, uh, I say American males, but really just American firefighters in general. Um, I I had had a sore throat uh, probably for ten months, just. And then chose to ignore it. You know, it was, uh, uh, it was, you know, post-nasal drip. It was allergies, you know, it'll be nothing. Uh, but I noticed something in the back of my throat, a little bump that I could kind of feel, uh, chose to kind of ignore that too. It's nothing. Um, then finally I kind of noticed that it was, uh, it had gotten, uh, it could, I could tell it got bigger It changed sizes. And that was like a red flag. Um, yeah, so then I, I finally did something that that almost none of the firefighters I know do is I actually called the doctor, made an appointment, and that actually surprised my, or she actually scared my wife. She goes, "You're going to the doctor?" Yeah, going to the doctor. I think a lot of times guys are hesitant to get checked for a lot of reasons, but I think you just hit on one of the key ones right there. We don't want to make our loved ones worry because whether or not it's deserved or not, we are perceived as you know being these these firemen, these guys that you know, we do this job that a lot of the American culture views as being heroic and some of the way we're portrayed is larger than life and admit that you need to go get checked out is to admit that we're human. And I think a lot of us are concerned about that. Yeah. And Dan, I mean, you'd probably been close to 20 years on the job at that point. I'm sure you're aware of cancer in the fire service. Did you take what you thought were preventative measures about, you know, wearing BAs and things like that? Or is it something that you're more cognizant of now? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I mean, um, my generation, when we came on this, we had BAs and BAs on all the rigs. Clearly we were using them. The super old guys that were still on, were talking about the, you know, the days that they didn't, but we were, 
we were trained what we thought was being pretty progressive. We were wearing our BAs on every fire, that kind of stuff. Little things that we, we weren't doing that I've learned since then um, that I didn't really pay attention to. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, that's why I partly it was a surprise because I was doing everything that we were trained to do and how we were trained to do it. I keyed in on the senior guys. That's how you live your life, right? You know, yeah. And, it, you know, for me, too, uh, with that diagnosis, the one thing I'd also like to say is that I then, you know, as firefighters, we always, what is it, uh, we're going to uh, hope for the best, but train for the worst kind of thing, prepare for the worst. And I immediately went into, like, opposite mode. I was like, oh, this, this isn't going to be anything. The uh, doctor looked at it, and he said, yeah, let me take a biopsy of it. And uh, he calls, you know, just a few days later and says, yeah, I test positive for, for cancer, and you need to come in tomorrow. We're going to start some more tests. And I still was like, you know, it was just a little bump. You know, I mean, it's going to be nothing. I'll probably be out for a week or two. You know, I'll be back on the job, easy day, you know. And it just, it, which set me up for failure. You know, I really wasn't prepared for the information that I got, which was, for me, was stage four uh, and a pretty good sized tumor that was, that I couldn't feel that was back inside my neck. What did your treatment look like? You know what? Um, uh, that's the one thing I'll maybe get into later as far as um, differences in treatment. And th- this treatment's pretty, uh, pretty challenging. It's, um, and that was the one thing that kind of took me by surprise too. I was, not ready for anything. I sit in the doctor's office with my wife. The oncologist comes in and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you're going to do radiation five days a week, 39 treatments. You're going to do this for nine weeks. You're going to have six rounds of chemo during that time. So you're probably going to lose 30 pounds. You're going to have a feeding tube. Uh, but, you know, you can get through this. And I almost fell out of the chair. You've got to be kidding me. You know, um, and he looked at me and this is the one thing if, if people are out there that have had cancer or dealing with it, looked at me and said, this is going to kill you because if we don't do this now, you're going to die from this. And, uh, that was a wake up call like no, like no other. That's incredible. Uh, so that's, you, did you have support initially from the department, from your loved ones, coworkers, things like that to say, Hey, this is something we got to tackle. Let's do this together. You know what? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, my family, I, my, my wife, my kids were, were there. I, you know, like you guys are firefighters, you know I mean? The, the Latin, it's, it's a hard thing to do because you're now they've got to support you and that's not what we do, right? We take care of everything. My department actually, you know, uh, um, they were a little bit behind the power curve at that time. I mean, we knew about cancer. I mean, it's been around with, uh, in the fire service, but they, um, just, just dealing with it on the job, just dealing with, you know, you know, workers comp if that's going to be a case support was a little bit behind the power curve but they they stepped up their game significantly some lessons you learned from your diagnosis and how did that change the way that you do your job now that's actually a really good question uh personally the lesson i learned as far as just myself was i learned what true pain was i thought i knew what that was and uh what uh, despair because it's, it's it's a challenging time, uh, but I learned how to get through that. The big thing that I learned uh, as far as prevention too, and things that I do differently is, um, and we talk about it. Uh, it's a clean clean air, clean gear, and clean body. Breathe air. And I thought and you guys are firefighters and the, the folks out there. Um, and we were wearing our BAs on every fire, right? And I look back, I would go, I would have gone to every single fire that I've been to. I'd kick in the door. I'd be the first guy dragging the hose in there. 
every single time, even today. Uh, well, what we did then, we knocked down the fire. Now we're moving into overhaul. We'd stand, we'd take our masks off. We'd stand around in the, in the, in the house, in the building for an hour, you know, patting each other on the back, telling the story about what we did. You came through here. I came over here. It made no sense. But there was no reason for us to be there. It, you know, all that time, that was just horrible. And that's like one of the worst times for, that, for the uh, toxins and everything to be there. Not cleaning our gear. You know, when we came on, the guys you looked up to, they had to burn up helmets, dirty gear, you know, never watched their turnouts. That's what you wanted to be. You idolize those guys. And uh, I learned quickly that that wasn't what we, uh, what we need to be doing and what I don't need to be doing. Absolutely. So it, it's, it sounds like you went through a, a tremendous ordeal with treatment, radiation, chemo, um, and now you're involved with the Cancer Support Network. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and how you got involved and what you kind of do with that. Well, for me, honestly, one of the first phone calls I made, and I kind of stumbled into it, was to the Firefighter Cancer Support Network after I got diagnosed. I didn't really know where to turn to. I knew I needed help. I knew I was kind of in a unique position being a firefighter and I literally Googled it, came up with firefighter cancer support network. And I did something that, like I said, none of us like to do. I actually called and asked for help. And almost immediately I get a great, great phone call back. I get some support. I get assigned a mentor to help me out. And uh, they send uh, some, a lot of information, a lot of help for you. A thing called a toolbox. I can tell you about that later if you want, but uh, it was cool. And, they were there for me the whole time. And it wasn't as much that like I was receiving things from them, but what I got was um, the knowledge that there's a whole group of people, a network of firefighters out there that is thinking about you and is there wanting to help you out. And then it, towards the end, well, actually when I, when I finished my treatment, I started feeling a, a little bit better getting on my feet. I was able to go up to LA. They had like a dinner and I met a lot of the people involved in the organization and uh, just just amazing, amazing people just out there trying to do good things, helping out us as a nation, really, as a firefighter nation. Uh, so something I really wanted to get involved with also. That's fantastic. And you're a mentor now, right? Yeah. Um, yes. And, and to be honest, that took a little while. I think you kind of have to be in a mental uh, place that you're okay talking about all those things, some of the deeper, darker kind of secrets things that are in your head and you want to be comfortable helping somebody out. So, yeah, so I, I signed up with uh, Debbie. He, she's the lady that kind of runs the program with firefighter cancer support network. You just take a little bit of training, just a kind of an online phone call. She tells you kind of gives you some guidelines, but what they do that I think is, is really cool and unique is uh, they connect firefighters with similar or the same diagnosis. That I think is huge. And, uh, if any of the people out there that are listening, as soon as you have cancer, you have your neighbors and friends, everybody's coming up to you and they're trying to tell you what to expect. Hey, my mother had breast cancer and this is what she had. So you're going to be fine. And then it's like, well, mine's completely different and I'm having completely different problems. You know, and one person said they, you know, they uh, gained weight and I was losing weight. I mean, it's, there's, you have to be cautious of the advice you get. Uh, everybody's trying to do a good thing, but they're, as I learned, different types of cancers, even for me, people with different, just just a few centimeters difference location of your of your uh, tumor will make a difference in how your side effects are. 
so that is a huge help and uh, being part of that, being able to uh, talk to guys from all over the country, firefighters that I've been connected with. It's an honor to be able to do it. And, it, and uh, as anybody knows, if you've ever taught classes or whatever, you, you get more back than you, than you give. You know, they help me out and I help them out. You're able to give us a little bit of an example if someone were to call you or get put in touch with you that had the same cancer or a similar cancer of some of the things that you would tell them about what they're about to go through? Yeah, you know, kind of the, the first thing, and you kind of, at least in my, for me, I mean, you just got, first off, you got to be yourself. And uh, I I just talk to them about, you know, where you work, you know, what kind of job you do, where, what's your department like, you know, become, make a connection there. And um, usually they have the same questions and it's really cool because I've been there, you know, dude, I've completely been there. And uh, they're, they have these questions that it's hard to ask your, your family or your wife, your coworkers, because they've never been through it, even the doctor sometimes. But now you got a firefighter, and I don't know what that means, but we all think alike. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, a, there's a common way to talk. And now they've got somebody that's not only a firefighter, but has, is, has been through the same thing they're going through. And, and sometimes it's simple things, you know, what can I eat? What will I be able to eat? How much pain are you going to be in? Or what? You know, do you think I'm going to be in? And, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not their doctor. You don't get into that. But I, I can get, tell them my story. And the main thing that I try to relate to them, or at least that I can remember I received, because at that time early on, you feel like you're you're done. You're like planning your funeral. You know, this is there's just no way I'm coming out of this. And uh, all of a sudden, I can be on the phone and go, you know what? I had the same thing you had, and I'm still here. You know, you can make it, you can make it through it. And uh, that's a huge load off your shoulders. And uh, just kind of getting them, getting them in line with, uh, you know, just a few things. Like, like I said, just one thing I always tell them to stay off the internet and you're not <laughs> going to do that. You're going to get on, you're going to be Googling everybody that has cancer and you're going to get scared to death, but step away from it. Um, that has to be invaluable to say, Somebody who thinks they're alone in this diagnosis, it's got to it's got to feel fairly lonely. But then, not only that, but here's a guy that's in the same job, the same career path, and is as beat it. And I think it's it's huge to be able to say that not only you beat it, you're back to the job. Um, were, were there things, were there any fears, trepidations going back to work, knowing that you're probably going to get exposed again, um, or things like that? Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, I mean, it's, it's been almost five years and my mother still, I'm not allowed to tell her that I went to a fire yesterday. You know? <laughs> <laughs> she, she thinks that I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I, you can't go, can't get exposed anymore. And I'm like, well, no, that, those are tough. They, they were tough. And it took longer uh, than I thought to kind of get my mind around this kind of stuff that uh, our generation, I think I'm speaking generally there, uh, grew up watching sitcoms, right. You know, and, uh, Every problem solved in 30 minutes. You know, and all of a sudden you got a problem that doesn't get solved in 30 minutes. It doesn't get solved in months. It doesn't get solved in a year. And it uh, changes your your mind a little bit, how you got to perceive things. Uh, but no, it, it was uh, a little bit, but um, I was fortunate in a way that as I was coming, getting back on the job, getting my feet underneath me, the uh, the job itself, we were in San Diego at least, in our local Everything was, we were pushing out this, this uh, mindset of, of breathing air, staying on air the entire time. Step out of the rig, 
you're going to a fire, you breathe air until you're heading back to the station, you know? Uh, and that was a whole new concept of we're teaching the probies at cleaning your gear, keeping it clean. You don't, I mean, if you, if somebody's walking around with gear that's been dirty for two weeks, that's not cool, you know, and they need to know that. And, uh, and cleaning your, cleaning yourself or using the wipes, we're doing things on sea. We're doing more decon, which is, um, is, has been coming around pretty good for us. Yeah, that, that kind of helped me out a little bit, made me feel a little bit more comfortable in uh, what I'm doing. Talk about that a little bit more. I have a similar experience. I know Kevin does too with our time on the department. Obviously, it's been shorter than yours, but early on in my career, I remember being on fires and being part of what we call overhaul. So when you're standing around talking about the fire inside the building and nobody's got BAs on. And of course, it was department policy that we did, but it was just culturally, you know, that's not what you did. And we had been taught coming through the tower that that was the right thing to do. But I know for me, I wasn't bold enough at that time to be the only guy breathing air during overhaul at that point. And, you know, looking back now, I wish that I had had the courage to do that because I know better now and I do that now. And as the culture changes and more and more guys adapt to the policies that we do have, I think the positive thing is we'll bring along those guys that are less willing you know, to do that on their own. But it really does take a handful of guys, if your department's not already doing that. If they are, and you guys are doing it across the board, of course, great. But if you work somewhere where that's not happening, be one of those guys that is bold enough to say, you know what, this is our policy. It's important. It's not just an arbitrary policy. It has a purpose. And I'm going to be one of, the, one of the men or women that leads on this and says, this is what we are required to do. This is why, and I'm going to do it. Because you do see that cultural change. I know that in my time with the department I work for, I've seen it change and it's not, I won't say it's perfect because nothing is, but it has gotten better in just a short time that I've been on the job. And those of you out there listening, you can be a part of that. You can be a part of that change. And it, it goes to cleaning your gear, obviously wearing your BA, you know, from the time you get off the rig to when you, you know, you're driving off and a lot of other stuff that just culturally was never a thing in most departments across the nation. But now we know that we need to change those things. And the departments that we work for, especially if they're large, they can write policies all day. But unless the guys on the ground make those changes, they won't happen. Yeah, 100%. 100%. There's also those things, you know, I think sometimes guys are good about cleaning their turnouts, but they don't wash their hood. You think of where your esophagus is and you take all that smoke or whatever. And, uh, you know, we'll change out some turnouts, but guys may not want to wash that hood because it goes into a separate bag. And then you go on a four day, you still have that dirty hood and then it just becomes a thing. And, you know, those are there's so many little things that we can do, I think, to avoid as much carcinogens and toxins as that you can possibly do. And I think we just need to be better about and and I love that you're coming on and telling your story because I think we can do better. Yeah, I I agree and you know and to to both those points really I um myself and a couple of us other survivors we every academy that graduates we give them a little you know kind of a, a scare me tactic we show them a, kind of a a video of some of us and we tell our story um, but I tell them that um that they they're they're leaders right now as a brand new firefighter stepping onto the floor you can be a leader and uh, you lead by example. And if you're worried about what you think about like us, the reason we're taking our 
you know, are wearing dirty gear or taking our BAs off and walking around and the thing is, is want to look cool. Look, looking cool is one of the most important parts of this job, right? <laughs> well, exactly. you know, about what type of helmets everybody has and you know, all that stuff. It's so important. So just be the guy. If you walk around, you, you're not going to go up to the senior firefighter or the captain and tell him, Hey, there's my policy. You better put your BA on as a probie. But if you're walking around and you're wearing it and you're breathing air, eventually the odd personality is going to realize that they're doing something wrong and uh, it doesn't hurt you. I mean, the other thing that I've noticed, like when I first came back and this was just starting to happen on our job at the time and everybody's going, well, as soon as I'm done, I want to take that BA off. It's heavy. I'm, I'm hot. I'm tired, you know? So I went to a couple of fires after that and I'm, I'm watching and we've got knocked down and we're kind of moving into overhaul and everybody with their masks off, but your BA still on the back. Mm-hmm. They're walking around with that because, you know, that's, now that looks cool, right? So they got their B. So this whole thing about it being heavy is not the case. It's just the mask. So go get another bottle, but, you know, air's free. I mean, literally free. <laughs> We've got a, a truck's going to come up. I'm sure most departments have something to that effect. We got spare bottles. Wear that the whole time. Uh, and you'll be the one real soon that looks cool. And, uh, and these guys are going to look like fools, I think. Kev, if you had things that you did to stay kind of in the game, you went from a full-time fire captain to sound like full-time treatment five days a week with chemo and radiation. Were the things that you did to stay, you know, mentally or physically in the game as best as possible? Yeah, I, you know, I did um, as much as I could. Uh, I, I was lucky that I had uh uh, some firefighters that would help drive me to to my treatment, you know, so I'd kind of be able to keep talking to them, reading a little bit. Uh, I mean, there was a period of time that it, it kind of, even my wife talked about it, we kind of went dark because I was pretty sick. But uh, no, as soon as I, as soon as I could, I was, you know, I was still off. But, and as soon as I started coming off of the, off of treatment and I was able to, I started going to try to exercise. I mean, and exercise at that point was walking around the block. If I could make it around the block, I was happy. But just like I think a lot of us with our careers and our job, you know, you put your mind, put your uh, mind to it. You know, you can overcome something and get yourself back or, or get to the position you want to be in. And I knew uh, I had to get myself back in shape. And I knew what I wanted to do. And one thing <laughs> I will say, like I said, everybody's got different type of cancer and different type of side effects. And the unfortunate thing for mine, because I wasn't able to eat, uh, the, one of the side effects is you're going to lose a lot of weight. Um, and I was in pretty good shape, you know, um, beforehand. And uh, some people have said, you know, well, probably because you were in good shape, you were able to do well with the treatment. I was like, well, actually, if I'd have been 20 to 30 pounds overweight, that'd have been a really good, <laughs> that'd been better for me. <laughs> I could, I was given a clean bill to eat anything I possibly could when I was, once I was healthy enough to eat. Cause the doctor even said, you just need calories, man. Just, calories eat whatever that's not a yeah. bad thing no makes it easier to live in a firehouse <laughs> exactly been doing that for a long time <laughs> anything that you would like to close with yeah absolutely um i, I talked about taking care of your you know yourself and the gear and uh everything but the one thing i will note and this is the one thing i like about the firefighter cancer support network and the IFF, uh, what we've been doing is, I mean, there's a lot of work going out there through legislation and educating the politicians and the public. We're educating the firefighters. 
uh, like you guys are talking about it right now about uh, how they can prevent this. But um, the one thing that the Cancer Support Network does and that I think just us as firefighters need to remember is we need to take care of each other. No matter what we do here today, there's going to be more folks coming down with cancer on our job and uh, around us. And we need to take care of them. Take care of your brothers and sisters, whatever you have to do. And remember that it's, it is a brotherhood and sisterhood in, uh, across the nation. I cannot tell you how much it meant to me and my family when I was off and getting texts, getting posts on Facebook, guys from the job, guys from other cities, you know, giving me encouragement. And it's you might not know it when you're sending it out, but there are times when uh, literally your wife's in tears because she sees a picture of you know, one of my stations and all of them standing there holding a sign for me and it, it, it gets you through. And uh, so don't underestimate the power that you have to take care of, uh, of our brothers and sisters out there. Well, Dan, we can't thank you enough. I think it's invaluable to have you come on and tell about your experiences with this and know that, that there are resources out there and that uh, there are people that have gone through the same thing that are willing to help. I think that's incredible. And that's very unique to the fire service, I think. So we can't thank you enough. And I love hearing the success story and even you being back on the job. It's fantastic. So thanks for coming on. Right on. Thanks for having me, guys. Good talking to you, Dan. This has been the IAFF podcast. This program has been sponsored by the IAFF Financial Corporation. For more information on who we are and what services are available to members, including our supplemental cancer benefits, visit our website at iff-fc.com.